Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. When it comes to laws, usually, usually your heart and your soul and your mind are off limits. So laws can regulate your behavior. They can control what you do. They can punish you for doing something and reward you for doing something else. But they cannot punish or reward you for what's in your heart or what's in your soul or what's in your mind. So, for instance, we can have a law that prohibits murder. It's illegal to murder. But there is no such thing as a law that prohibits hatred. The laws can keep you from acting on your hatred, but they cannot stop you from hating. They can't get into your heart. You can have a law that prohibits treason. Betraying your country is illegal, but we can have no law that makes you love your country. You can have a law that prohibits theft. It's illegal to steal your neighbor's stuff. But you cannot stop people from being greedy in their hearts. You can stop them from acting on their greed, but you cannot stop them from being greedy. The point is this. There is something that is out of reach for most laws, for the government, for this world, and that's your heart and your soul and your mind. And usually we think of that as a good thing. We cherish those notions of freedom of thought and freedom of religion, the freedom to think what you want and the freedom to love what you want. But it's worth noting that although the world cannot legislate those things, it can't make laws about your heart and your soul and your mind, nevertheless, the world is very interested, very interested in your heart and your soul and your mind. It cares about it quite a bit at the devil's prompting. The world cares quite a bit about hearts. But because the world has no jurisdiction over your heart, it can't get into your heart by laws, it must find another way. It can't simply make a law, you must love this. Instead, it finds another way. Laws tell you exactly what they're doing. They come at you with a full frontal attack. You must not do this. But the way the world works is secretly through manipulation and enticement. So, for instance, there is no law that says you must approve of sexual sin, of fornication, or homosexuality, or adultery, or divorce. There's no law that says you must, you must lust. But seeing and hearing again and again the things that are on TV, or in movies, or in the careless talk of family and friends, all of that works on your heart far better, far better than any law ever could. There's no law that says you must love money and you must want more things. But you know this, advertising is specifically designed to rouse your desires and make you into the best of consumers. There's no law that says you must love cursing and blasphemy. But bit by bit, the things that we hear desensitize us. They shape our hearts, again, far better than any law ever could. See, the world is very interested in your heart. The devil is very interested in your heart. He's interested in your behavior to a degree, but he is much, much more interested in your heart. He's not just interested in getting you to do sinful things. He wants you to love sinful things. He wants your heart to be set on things that are not worthy of love, and he wants you to neglect with your heart the things that are worthy of love. He wants you to love evil and hate what is good, and so he goes to work. And the fact is, the tragic reality is that it's not that difficult for the devil. For all the things that he would have us love, we already love 
by nature. We are born into this world loving what is evil and hating what is good. We don't need laws to command us to lust or hate or covet because we already do it so well by nature. All that it takes for the world and the devil to get us further and further into sin is a bit of enticement and the cover of secrecy. The world will never tell you what it's doing, but it is working for the devil in trying to retain control of your heart and your soul and your mind. The Pharisees came to Jesus in our gospel lesson to test him this morning. They asked him what is the great commandment in the law, and they wanted to find out whether he was going to disagree with Moses. If he disagreed with Moses, then of course he couldn't possibly be who he said he was. He couldn't possibly be the Messiah. If he said something else was the greatest commandment, then they would know. He was a liar. They had proved it. But Jesus did not disagree with Moses. In fact, he quoted him. Here's what he said. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, none of those Pharisees would have disagreed that these are the greatest commandments. But what they had done is they had taken the teeth out of them. They figured something like this. They said, although those commands talk about love and your heart and your soul and your mind, they figured it must not actually mean what it says. Moses doesn't actually mean what he says. We know, of course, that no laws can enter your hearts. They can't enter your soul. They can't enter your mind. And so it must be something much more like this. You must act as though you love God. You must act as though you love God. You must do things that seem to be loving towards God. This law must really be about your behavior, they thought. It must be about what you do. That's what laws are for, regulating what you do. And so they thought it must be that we can make some sort of a list, a checklist for love, to find out whether or not we are loving. We heard some of them last week about the Sabbath. So they said, if you keep the Sabbath, if you don't work on the Sabbath, even if it means neglecting somebody in need, well, you can check that box, and you have loved God. Fasting and praying, tithing and sacrificing, when you've done those things, they reasoned, then you've loved God. Of course, they had forgotten one of the things that God said time and again by the prophets. When God accused his people of their hypocrisy, he said, this people draws near me with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. The Pharisees should have known better. They should have known better than to think that they could love God by keeping a list of the things they had done. Everyone knows the difference between someone who is just going through the motions and someone whose heart is actually in it. Everyone knows this because you have known people like that, and you yourself were probably like that at one point. The easiest uh, instance to think of is when you were a kid, when your folks told you to do something, and you did it because you didn't want to suffer the consequences. You didn't do it because you loved your folks. You didn't do it because you thought it was a good idea. You just didn't want to get a spanking, right? So that's why you did it. You were obeying, but it was not with your heart. It was not with your heart. You took out the trash because you didn't want to get grounded. You cleaned your room because you were promised that you could see a movie later. You didn't love taking out the trash or cleaning your room. You did not love your parents in doing these things. You were just waiting for it to be over. You wanted to get through it. You were being obedient with your behavior, but you were not loving with your heart. 
And you might say to yourself, as I do, in fact, that's actually pretty good. I kind of want my kids to obey even when they don't want to, even when their heart's not it. I want them to obey even if they don't want to do what I'm asking them to do. And it's true. It's good. It's a step in discipline, actually, for kids to learn just to obey even if their heart is not in it. But that is not the point. That is not the goal. The goal is not a life of grudging obedience, a life of sighs and shrugging shoulders and rolling eyes. The hope is that in obeying, a child will learn the goodness of the thing that they've been told to do and that they will come to love it so that no command is needed, no law is needed, no threats are needed, no reward is needed because the thing is good in and of itself and the obedience will be joyful. That's the goal with disciplining children. But simply doing things, simply going through the motions, obeying even when your heart is not in it, that's not the goal. Loving your parents with your actions and not with your heart is the last thing any parent would want. The Pharisees should have known better than to think that obedience to a set of rules about behavior, especially when it was rules that they had made up, that they had just invented themselves, they should have known better that that obedience is not love. It's not love any more than simply saying, I love you, is love. Your behavior matters. What you do and say matters. But it only counts for anything if your heart, soul, and mind are also on board. Saying I love you only means anything if your heart actually loves. Otherwise, it's a gross lie and you are a hypocrite. The Pharisees agreed with Jesus and Moses about what the greatest commandment was, but they completely, completely missed the point. They left out all the business about their hearts and their souls and their minds. And if they could not love God, then of course they could not love their neighbor either. They failed on both accounts. But this is not just a lesson about the Pharisees. This is a lesson about you and me as well. We do the same thing. We mistake so easily. We mistake love for compliance. We make mistake love for grudging obedience. We make in our minds a list, a checklist of things that we, will think, that we think will show our love for God. I go to church, I go to Bible study, I talk to people about Jesus, I give an offering, I say my prayers, I read the Bible, I listen to Christian radio, I got my kids baptized, I don't curse, I don't drink too much, I'm generally a pretty nice person. I always put my spare change in the Salvation Army bucket at Christmas time. I'm pro-life, I'm pro-marriage. There are two ways that we go wrong with this thinking. The first is the root of the problem. To think that God is only concerned about what we do, about our behavior, when what he's most concerned about is your heart. He is concerned about your behavior, but only if it comes from a true and genuine heart. If we focus on that checklist of things that we think we ought to do, then we lose sight of what's entirely possible, that we could be going through the motions while our hearts are, in fact, far from God. And you can also see that if you were to look carefully at that checklist that you hold in your mind. Because on that checklist, there are two problems. One of them is that there are things on that checklist that God has not commanded. So God never said anything about putting money in the Salvation Army bucket. He never said anything about listening to Christian radio. Those works don't count for anything. He also commands lots of things that we like to leave off of our checklist because we find them to be uncomfortable, we find them to be unpleasant, that they would require us to sacrifice. So our checklists are defective. They're incomplete and inaccurate. If they were complete and accurate, if we had all of the behaviors in mind that we should 
do because we love God, then we would never, ever, ever measure up. But most of all, it's not love. That checklist is not love. So here's the first thing, the first thing to take away from this morning is that you should not give in to that kind of thinking. You should not give in to that kind of pharisaical thinking. Listen instead carefully to what God's command says and take it seriously. It shouldn't surprise you that he wants your love and all of it. He doesn't just want your behavior. He wants your heart and your soul and your mind. It shouldn't surprise you because, of course, he made your heart. He made your soul. He made your mind. The world doesn't have access to those things. It has no claim on them. It has no jurisdiction over them, which is why the world cannot pass laws governing your heart. But God can and does because they belong to him. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And you, dear Christians, you know how good those commands are. You know how good they are because you've seen them fulfilled in Jesus. So if you ever struggle to remember why these are good things, why loving God and loving your neighbor is a good thing, think about the example of Jesus. Look at how he loved, first of all, his heavenly Father with his whole heart, soul, and mind. We're going to sing during communion this great Lenten hymn, A Lamb Goes Uncomplaining Forth. Listen for these words in that hymn. There's this, uh, this conversation that takes place in the hymn. It starts with the father speaking, who says to his son, Go forth, my son, and free my children from their dread of guilt and condemnation. The wrath and stripes are hard to bear, but by your passion they will share the fruit of your salvation. And the son, Jesus, replies, Yes, father, yes, most willingly. I'll bear what you command me. My will conforms to your decree. I'll do what you have asked me. The love that Jesus had for his father, with his whole heart, soul, and mind, was made clear by his obedience and his trust. He went uncomplaining to the cross. And why? For your sake. Because of his love for you. To do what his father asked him. Not out of grudging compliance, not with a roll of his eyes and a sigh and heaving his shoulders, but willingly, out of love. And he trusted. He trusted that his father loved him. And though he would be laid in the grave, his father would raise him from the dead. Although he would cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He never once, he never once stopped believing that his father would not abandon him in the grave. The goodness of that kind of love towards God is clear. It's really unimaginable for you and me, but here we see it. We see it in Jesus. When you look at Jesus on the cross, that's what you see. The love of God with your whole heart soul, and mind. That is the love that we want to have towards our Heavenly Father. It's the love that rescued us from sin and death. Imagine if we were to love God as Jesus does. And in the same way, you can see the goodness of loving your neighbor. Whenever Jesus saw someone in need, his heart was moved to compassion. He never hesitated, sacrificing even for the sake of his enemies. It was not just the sacrifice of physical death. It wasn't just dying on the cross, but it was the dignity of his glory as the Son of God. He gave it all up for those in need. He loved his neighbors, and the goodness of that love is clear. Imagine if our world were full of that kind of love. Imagine if just you or I were to love with that kind of love. It's obvious, it's obvious how good that would be if we were to love our neighbors the way Jesus does. We could not have imagined this kind of love. We could not have imagined what keeping these commandments looked like 
unless we had seen Jesus. St. John put it this way. He said, in this we have come to know love, that Christ laid down his life for us. God gave this command. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he is right to command it. And we should love that command because it is good. And our hearts, souls, and minds belong to him. But circling all the way back to the beginning, you know this, this hard truth. As you're sitting here and hearing this, I imagine, I hope, that you're thinking, I can't do it. I can't do it. I know what's in my heart. And we also know that laws, laws cannot change hearts. A law cannot make you love. And so God does even more. He doesn't just give you a command, but he also gives you the fulfillment of that command. He says, you must love, and then he gives you Jesus. He puts Jesus in your place. Jesus, who loved perfectly, not just as an example for you, but to take your place. Yes, you want to love. No, you cannot. But Jesus stands in your place. His love is your love. So when you stand before the judgment seat of God and he says, and he asks you this question, what is the great commandment? And you answer rightly, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says to you, well, how you done? Did you do it? Did you keep that command? You can answer fearlessly, no, I have not. But you sent your son, love incarnate, to love perfectly in my place, to the point of death, forgiving all my sins on the cross. When he asks you, when your heavenly father asks you, show me your love, you point to Jesus and you say, this is the one who loved for me. That's what faith is. Faith is so often misunderstood. Faith is simply this. It is hearing and believing the promise of Jesus, that his love is counted for you. His love is counted as your own. When you go to heaven, it will not be because of your failures to love. It will not be because of your checklist. It will be because he loved perfectly in your place. And that is what sets you free to throw out that checklist, to take on this struggle against sin, to struggle towards love, towards loving God and loving your neighbor. You can do that because you have been loved perfectly and you have the perfect love of Jesus. If you desire to love God with your whole heart, soul, and mind, if you desire to love your neighbor as yourself, you must have Christ, and you have him. You have him by his word and promises. You have him by the Holy Spirit who has washed you clean and given you new hearts. Follow his example and hold fast to him, for his mercy endures forever. To Jesus alone be all glory, now and forever. Amen.